Hi, this is Nira Vasai. Hi, this is Kirby Shibaga. And along with our program director, Stephen Chu, I am Vinay Narayan. Welcome to XRC Pod, the XR Seattle podcast. In this episode, episode six, Wargaming, what is it good for? Absolutely everything. Today, we'll specifically cover simulations versus training, applications that are non-military, how VR makes Wargaming more practical, and how Wargaming can help with COVID planning. Wargaming is not just for the military. Wargaming allows you to simulate what-if scenarios, introduce various hypotheses, and allow for discovery, which is perfect for incomplete and imperfect information. Our guest on the topic today is our very own Nirav Desai. Nirav, what can you tell us about your experience in Wargaming? Yeah, so I worked with several Defense Department clients with Wargame planning, strategic planning, and also uh, building VR applications that feed into military training and exercises. It's a pretty complex uh, process. I, I understand the technology side, but uh, I'm by no means an expert in the minutia of wargaming. This is really more on the broader process and actually the technical tactics of the communication of the structure and, and how, how um, communication takes place during these game, war games. And that's perfect. I think it's very timely in terms of what's actually happening right now. We're, we've used uh, a lot of examples of social collaboration trying to solve problems across borders um, and time zones and kind of other various physical yeah. barriers. Uh, and now what we're seeing is real-time decision-making and some of those impacts of that, especially as there's been some phased reopenings uh, for, for COVID uh, and then now closing again because there's so many unknown or unpracticable variables. But uh, clearly this is something that Wargaming can actually solve for. Uh, and Wargaming and XR particularly really making that more accessible. Um, could you give us some uh, background on, on Wargaming and, and how it's actually been used? Sure. You know, in our last podcast, Vinay, you mentioned that uh, that we, we, you like to avoid DOD examples because they tend to be niche and not <laughs> exemplar for other industries. In this case, however, um, I, I think Wargaming works really well to expand into other spaces. Um, so first, let me draw a few parallels. Um, number one, wars are rare, thankfully. The, but training is constant. When the military is not actively engaged in operations, they train. So a lot of the instruction we get from and the lessons learned we can get from uh, training in, in VR can be applied to broader what-if scenario planning. So a popular uh, training scenario for DoD um, is around the, re, the area where they use VR often in areas that are too dangerous to try in the real world safety procedures and say a burning aircraft or a uh, mass shooter uh, emergency procedures or de detecting uh, IEDs, improvised, improvised explosive devices and how you uh, defeat them or detect them. Um, as part of the job of the military and uh, FEMA, DHS and other great government agencies, they, they have to plan for the worst. Now, while corporations tend to focus on productivity and how to get more out of your labor, the government really kind of focuses more on planning for the unimaginable, right? They spend a lot of time training for the unusual and um, wargaming is exactly what this is for. So you could imagine say a diplomatic uh, war game having parallels into potential negotiation scenario in terms of a, a executive, um, executive negotiations. You could imagine um, Wargaming around a natural disaster have, or having parallels into 
a corporation planning on how, how to react to a potential disruptor in their industry. And you could think about, um, you know, wargaming around disease outbreaks um, as, you know, how, how do you reopen um, in, in, in uh, post-COVID? So there's a lot of parallels into potential industry challenges. The real purpose of a war game is to exercise the communication, streamline workflows, and make really see where systems break down and where leadership breaks down. And I'm going to just ask you a quick, quick question in there. You talked about kind of essentially training together, right? And that, that communication barrier. Um, what are some of the just general uh, barriers that you have with time and space that training together uh, that solves the training together solves for? And especially, how do you see VR really help to really make that more accessible? You know, the, one of the best ways to learn and build a team is to go through a crisis together. It really builds this camaraderie that's hard to get in other situations. You learn how your colleagues think, how they work, how they react to stresses. And that's not something that can be artificially created except for VR. VR gives you that ability to artificially increase stressors, increase difficult situations and, and see how people behave in those situations. And taken with a collaboration platform, a good war game scenario, you can really artificially create that camaraderie uh, through solving a problem together. Yeah, definitely. And I think, uh, you know, as some of these examples that you mentioned about uh, being able to, since you cannot normally artificially create that sense of urgency, um, what you're able to do, especially in VR, is really be able to create that. But also in your experience, it's not just a VR uh, for everyone solution, right? So you have some users that need that VR experience. Some can be in front of a desktop computer. Some can be in a laptop. Some can be in the field. That that's a pretty common way to kind of use these various technologies together. Am I am I right? That's correct. Yeah. So um, the um, army is actually working on a on a on a thing called the One World Terrain, which is really a uh, end to end. Uh, landscape in which they could uh, map the world one-to-one -one, um, where you can have scenario planners working at a desktop um, in a traditional game engine style interaction where they're on a flat screen looking at the, the battle space. Um, you'll have soldiers in augmented reality head headsets that are actually in that battle space and can see augmented reality artifacts in that space as well as um, be seen by the gamers and the scenario planners. And then you could also have a complete tabletop exercise where someone has a God's eye view of that battle space. Um, they're kind of putting in the groundwork to do that, but you can imagine something, uh, that kind of technology being applied to you know, new construction, dealing with traffic workflows in a, in a, in a um, city. Yeah, one of the things that I've experienced is kind of a, perhaps the lowest level of wargaming, which is called, you know, tabletop exercise. So in that situation, uh, coming from uh, IT background, we need to know how people will react if there's a disaster. Maybe we lose, lose power to the data center, there's an earthquake, fire, whatever it is, we need to make sure that the team knows how to react, who they're going to communicate with, and possibly even what response they're gonna get back. The thing is when you're doing that tabletop exercise, it's not very uh, immersive. So it doesn't really feel like a real situation, mm -hmm. you know, feel the stress of it. So I think, I think what we're talking about here is moving up the stack and making these uh, 
making these experiences as realistic as possible. Yeah, they talk about in general that VR's goal is to increase the fidelity, right? So it definitely increases the fidelity of wargaming in that it becomes a lot more uh, tangible, a lot more real. You go from the lowest level of fidelity, really, which is just brainstorming to tabletop, uh, to eventually being able to do large-scale uh, operational environments. Um, in, your, in your example, how do you think having, especially when in an IT solution security, uh, how do you see... VR being an element of that. Yeah, so uh, Kirby, I think your point is is dead on. It's really building on top of existing processes, existing uh, scenarios, and making that more real. So um, you know, war games already exist in in VR, right? I mean, chess is a war. It's actually the first war game, and you can play chess in VR. And what that kind of teaches, though, is the ability to think uh, strategically. And now let's take a exactly a scenario like you were talking about. How would an executive team react to, say, a um, mandatory shutdown where all, all workers must, must work remotely? You know, HR might have a perspective of we need to make sure that uh, employees' uh, mental health is well taken care of. We have to um, make sure where managers can still mentor their staff and check in on progress. Technology has a challenge of making sure bandwidth is, is accounted for. And you can actually simulate a lot of these kind of conditions in VR, right? So in this scenario, you would have maybe um, see what it's like for an engineer to, uh, to submit a build in VR and you could send out notifications to everyone that says, hey, you're late, I, I'm waiting on you to sub submit this build, and they have bandwidth issues, right? So how do you react to that? And how does that affect the team dynamic? And does it cause the team cohesion to break down or strengthen it? Um, and you could actually artificially create that kind of scenario and test that and see if that's actually, um, how do you build good behaviors into your team to, to get through that? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great way to, uh, to take a look at that. I was gonna, I do eventually want to get into more of these, what are quote unquote dangerous scenarios, but something you'd mentioned about would be more of an environmental reaction. I'm sure there's also a lot of cross-cultural differences, different time zones, uh, especially if you're trying to, it's, you know, in the, it's November here, October here, uh, the fall, nothing much going on in terms of holiday season um, yet, uh, but overseas, there might be a big religious holiday going on and the network goes down and you're reaching out to somebody who's potentially either on a train or, or uh, about to get on a train to spend a very you know important with their family. Uh, those these are great scenarios to kind of be able to interject and deal and and potentially even do uh, a planning for as well. So actually, a good point on that is the idea of over the shoulder observation. So one thing that you do in a uh, in a in an exercise is you want to see things from different perspectives. From a VR scenario, you could particularly, if you, so North Carolina, NC State did a great VR experience around uh, negotiations overseas. So how do you understand the cultural context of uh, different uh, participants in a, in a business meeting? In their scenario, they had Canada, they had, sorry, they had uh, China, they had America, and the Indian company. And it allowed you to jump into each one of their perspectives uh, and see the meeting from their, that perspective. You can imagine the same thing going on in, in a war game where the manager might be looking through the perspective of each of their employees on how they're behaving in different situations. So very different, right, than what you consider a training scenario. 
Training yeah. usually has very linear outcomes where, where in simulations, you're, you're adding a lot more variability um, and you're also learning on the go, which is actually okay uh, for that. Um, you had mentioned over the shoulder, uh, that's you know a phrase that you use uh, often in kind of a best practice for wargaming monitoring. Um, what are some of the other best practices of wargaming that are very different in what you would consider more of a collaboration or a meeting or training environment that you could utilize in um, in these more simulation scenarios? Yeah, so a lot of these war games are facilitated. So um, I, I think as a technologist, I immediately think about the AI that's driving this to um, make the situation realistic. A lot of them, when they're orchestrated well, are actually to have human facilitators um, to help orchestrate the situation or actually um, inject um, uncertainty into the situation. If the war game is too easy, you um, throw in a an event that sets sets off the dynamic, right? So that's number one. Second is you don't go in with the outcome predetermined. You want to let war gamers come up with the best solution. I know, Kirby, you, you were talking about the Kobayashi Maru uh, a while ago uh, from Star Trek, and that, that's a good example because in that scenario, the war, the the scenario, the end result was determined. Um, actually, maybe you wanted to describe what what that scenario is for the non trekkies on our audience. I'm one of them, by the way. <laughs> okay, so you know, just briefly, it's to see how the crew of the spacecraft spaceship yeah. would react in this certain situation where they get a call from a, a distress call, but things escalate. And really, it's one of these situations where it's almost impossible, if not impossible, to actually survive with a with a good outcome. But what the instructors and what the what the organization learns from that is how well this team works together, and what is their thought process as they experience more pressure. Yeah, and you know what you were saying too about having having a human or maybe in the future an AI that sort of directs things and, and can throw in events. Again, this is a little geeky, but if anyone's played Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yep. That's yep. Uh, sort of like the, the game master, right? So we've all played board games, right? In, in, in some capacity, be that chess, risk, Dungeons and Dragons, some sort. The essence game that was abstract out the decision points into discrete actions that's easy to, easy to contemplate. So one of, one of the clients I was supporting, we actually played board games. That was, uh, a, and part of designing the board game helped you think through what are the critical aspects of the process that you have to get right. And where people express their ingenuity. So even if you think of your a traditional uh, business um, process mapping task, that can be turned into a game. Oh, definitely. I think one of the popular things for VR in particular is the gamification of what may seem like mundane or, or trivial tasks, right? Uh, it's just getting us to be able to get engaged and see so many of those various themes. Um, there's also clear, clear benefits of using VR in wargaming or really simulation training. Uh, especially in in hostile environment uh, recreation, 
and I know you have some great examples from the DoD in general. Um, are there some other examples that uh, are non-military that uh, really kind of stand out, uh, especially for, um, for for the general public as, as they may benefit from it? Well, you know, so actually in, in the last three months, I've seen dramatic changes in the just sort of layout of the of my local convenience store from how do you uh, make sure you have social distancing? How do you, uh, you know, first we had social distancing and then they added uh, glass between the teller and, and, and the, the customer. Every time I go in, it seems like the process somehow shifts. I'm not sure if this was done or not, but you could imagine in some way uh, executives at CVS using VR to map out what their stores look like and putting in different barriers to figure out how to best regulate traffic, human traffic through through that store. Similarly, for a new construction, you want to do the same thing. You want to see how it affects um, uh, road traffic on and off in and out of the parking lot. You know, so and that 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 happens all the time in larger uh, infrastructure jobs. And you know, that's a, that's a great example in terms of retail space changing to layout. There's a great example of Adidas um, originally using VR to train their store reps um, on on new products. But what they realized by bringing in other folks into that conversation, um, one, I mean, by using VR, you learn the information longer and deeper, but they're able to give those that are actually on the floor, we're able to give designers and those responsible for creating the store layout a lot of very valuable feedback uh, that helped to improve the design real time um, and actually make, make a very quick turnaround. So I think if you were to use VR or even uh, AR for, the, for, for that example, uh, I think you probably see more profound changes quicker because uh, so much of this is also about mitigating risk for essential workers. There, there's so many ways to be able to use this technology. Because um, I think some of the stuff that is different than previous uses of VR for design is that in simulation and wargaming, uh, you are also exercising the system, right? You're uncovering choke points. How is some of that process um, done in wargaming um, in general, and how can we apply that? For VR and for non-military um, use cases. So I'm gonna I keep going back to traffic examples because they're they're um, everyone everyone sat in a traffic jam. So when you're driving down I-5, at one point downtown it turns into two lanes, and every day there's traffic at the same choke point. So when you say a choke point, um, that's exactly what what it is. In taking that abstraction now to say a a business process. You can envision that a ma manager X needs to approve every uh, every purchase over five thousand dollars. Well, this manager X is also someone who's on the road a lot, so all purchases get delayed by two days, giving for the time for him to re react to. It. And so, when you're thinking about how you distribute out signatory authorities or approval to uh, authorization to, to continue. You also need to think about what other stresses are going to be on the, that workforce. Um, and an exercise or, or a simulation can help find where those choke points are. I'm just thinking of a couple of uh, scenarios that are kind of in, in my life right now because of COVID. Yeah. I have a son that's in high school and they have to work very hard here trying to figure out what is the best way if they open up how many days, how, how can they maintain physical distancing? And, and you know, where do you put uh, cleaners? 
uh, for cleaning your hands? Where do you put extra masks? All this type of thing can be very quickly run through as a scenario um, and try to optimize for the best, right? So you yep. might have some AI avatars in there, but you also may have some real people in there and just seeing, oh, if we do this, everybody's going to be lined up. It's going to back up. It's going to be a big problem. So let's try a different way. Uh, along those lines too, a lot of you know college campuses and larger uh, offices that have their own campus, same situation. They need to figure out how people can return to work safely. Mm -hmm. And here's the thing, some of those facilities people right now can't be there at the site. So when they have access to VR, they can actually be at home helping design solutions. And what it's, what it's all about is the unintended consequence, right? So you may make a change that lo logically makes sense and it seems like it's gonna um, improve tra traffic flow here, but you don't realize that there's X, Y, Z on, on an unintended consequence. Very scary point, right? And there's so many what ifs and how can you yep. do these different things. But um, you know, I think based on this conversation, there's so many aspects of best practices of wargaming planning and scenario planning that you can really apply to all of these scenarios that uh, where you have incomplete information or, or to make decisions. Um, I kind of wanted to pull some of this stuff together as well. Uh, you know, when we look at some of the benefits of wargaming, it's, it's much more than training, right? It, it is simulating environment. It's being able to pull in multiple stakeholders. It's uh, being able to test various hypotheses and doing it in a very safe or controlled environment. Um, and But when you start to look at where it's typically done, they're typically done in either larger organizations or uh, in more resource intensive places where you can really simulate um, these scenarios much more than you can in a, a tabletop or over a phone call. So VR really brings that sense of realism that's absolutely critical for, for wargaming or, or simulation-based training. I mean, some of those ways they do that is, as you mentioned, the ability to train together uh, by combining time and space. Um, mm -hmm. This also leaves the, the users with a, a feeling of urgency. And that feeling of urgency kind of helps to understand the different cultural differences, uh, as well as time, the pressure. Uh, it also gives you a chance to practice those um, environments as well. Because oftentimes, if you encounter a stressful scenario for the first time, you don't really know how to best react. But the more uh, repetitions you can get from that, it definitely improves. And of course, there are also dangerous scenarios where for the case of uh, even infection of COVID, uh, yep. how do you really understand what those downstream impacts are? What resources are required? What are some of the other environmental impacts? And lastly, uh, the traffic example is a great one, really uncovering these choke points. When you start to get into these multiple stakeholders, these chains, take a typical Uber Eats delivery, for example, uh, you have everything from the supplier to the restaurant that can impact the quality of that food to the handling at the restaurant, to the delivery, to the doorstep. Um, when you typically expect someone to take care of that, we normally expect Uber Eats to make sure the Uber driver is trained. We expect the restaurant, but no one really sees that value chain. It can only break down in one of those areas and impact it all. Um, and so that is a great way to really be able to do the full simulation and, and understand those choke points. But I wanted to put all this stuff together and really talk about something that's really top of mind for a lot of folks, which is schools reopening. Um, I know that can be sometimes hot, uh, contested or political, but this really needs to be more pragmatic in a sense that 
if things are going to happen, how can we use wargaming? How can we use VR as a way to, to protect our kids um, at school? Um, and and Nira, I'll open this up with you um, in terms of really talking about some of the best practices of wargaming and how can we start to apply that in terms of school planning and reopening? What are some of the things we should consider? Yeah, so it, it's a complicated topic. So I'm gonna break this down into a few, a few different levels if that's all right. Initially, you, you think of the individual, right? So individual training all the way to Department of Education or uh, even school district, right? And you want different kinds of level of simulation for each of the elements of that supply chain, of that value chain. So if you're talking about in-classroom experiences, that's where you have robust, rich environment VR training, right? So what will the classroom experience be like in a social distance environment? And perhaps you actually need to get down and see the physics of the room to really get value out of that. Um, now let's move up to, say, how do you plan out uh, transportation to and from the school, right? There you don't really need the physics of the buses, right? But you need kind of a more functional perspective. So that's more akin to Dungeons and Dragons, right? And then you could go even further up and, and at the policy level. And at that point, it's more of a tabletop exercise. So there's different tactics for each one of these and, and uh, using whether it's VR, immersive VR, uh, a hybrid or augmented reality tabletop exercises, each technology is gonna be useful for a different customer segment along that value chain. Um, and deciding the right one is really a function of the criticality, criticality of the job and how much you want to spend, how much you can afford to put into building the 3D environment. One more level there that's kind of interesting, and I'm sure economists are probably all over this, yeah. uh, wargaming big time right now. Some companies actually, you know, they work at the high school level to start a pipeline for employees to join their company with certain skills. And right now that's, you know, pretty much impacted, especially when you're talking about something like mechanics or that's not an IT style job, uh, knowledge worker job. So what are the impacts there, right? So it'd be, it'd be very interesting to start almost like turning dials at the lower level, but then being able to visualize a longer term uh, path and impact that that may have. Yeah, definitely. I think there's so many different stakeholders in this mix. And, you know, one we forgot was probably one of the most important next to the next to the children attending schools is the educators. You know, oftentimes yep. we're, we're putting educators in such harm's way, expecting them to do so much um, and almost be uh, superhuman in, in such times. So I think uh, being able to add their perspective um, and seeing almost a workflow end to end, because if you're thinking about risk mitigation, for example, um, how you plan out lunch times is going to be very important. It's much more than eating uh, as adults eat at your desk and finish of that, but people, kids share, right? And being able to take that contact, contract tracing from one child to another and how that kind of spreads. There, there's so many of these different variables and especially getting a child into a headset, having them attend this updated for COVID school and seeing how they react and interact. Yeah. And the nice thing about doing stuff in VR versus some of your traditional ways, like for example, this in wargaming in terms of retail, they would actually create a simulated store and people would actually interact in them. We talked about eye tracking, 
a couple episodes ago, uh, also very valuable in terms of understanding what people are interacting with, but also in a virtual environment, you can tag things. So you can tag everything someone makes contact with and actually see that trail, right? You can see the compounding effect of that. Um, and the nice thing about these type of environments, from a visual perspective, the graphics fidelity doesn't have to be that high. Like your desk doesn't have to be, doesn't, you don't need to see the simulated hardwood in, in a classroom. So just objects for the sake of objects can really help speed the development and, and the process. And you can also break the, pro, uh, the, the problem down. Um, it's not about what are the, all the things that the child and an educator needs to do in the course of a day and everyone that helps support uh, this environment. It could be, you know, you have certain levels of goals that you want to be able to address. Uh, safety, and there could be some other, you know, ones as it cascades down, even safety broken up. Um, and you can start to tackle this problem, I think, in more of an iterative fashion. And with the tabletop exercises, you can have very minimal graphics altogether, right? It's it's really more, that's more on the pr process mapping and seeing the downstream effects. So Kirby, what you were talking about around uh, the economic models, seeing how things play out is more a uh, a tabletop exercise type implementation, and you're just visualizing that for the, for the players. Whereas, Vinay, what you were talking about is more that immersive environment. What what's the classroom like? So I, I do want to make that distinction because these are going to be several different games that we have to think about in terms of reopening schools. Yeah, that's probably a much more cleaner way to look at it in general, right? Um, I think any implementation you can break down into modules or pieces has a more higher higher likelihood of actually being implemented in success than trying to do everything all at once. And, and of course, you know, you, you've seen that with very complex um, examples that you have seen as well. Now, one area that we haven't talked too much about, but I think it's one of the best use cases for wargaming, and that is uh, executive uh, decision-maker training or assessing competency for uh, moving up to the next level. Star Trek. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, actually, that's why I, I like that you bring that up again, because one of the great reasons why Kirk was uh, fit to command was that he was able to figure out a way around the, the system, right? Um, it's uh, you get to a certain point because you're efficient and productive at running a team. Once you get up a higher level, you want to be able to think about what's not right in front of you. What, how do you adapt to change? How are you flexible? And wargaming is a great way to throw those unexpected curveballs at, at, at potential leaders and see how they react. I think you had said something to, to me in a, in a side conversation that kind of stuck with me in terms of wargaming. You said uh, when companies are overly focused on productivity and by focusing on increasing productivity, it makes them less adapt or less adaptable to crisis because they're really they're thinking about that just uh, can you just can you expand that a little bit uh, on why you feel that way? Yeah. So if you think about um, the mindset of someone who wants to drive efficiency, right? They're they're trying to remove the slack from the process, right? It's kind of robotic process automation, right? You're uh, let's do what we do and let's do it effectively uh, based on the situation I have. Now, when that situation changes, it's very hard because the the, the process is so fine-tuned to that current situation, it's hard to readapt. Um, and you see the brittleness of that drive towards productivity. So a lot of times what these war games are trying to do is, yeah, you want to be efficient, but how do you 
build in the ability to ham handle ambiguity into that efficiency. No, I was say, as I think uh, there's so much of these aspects, like that these themes like continue to happen um, and they're not specific to any scenario, right? They're just general good war gaming best practices as it kind of comes down. Um, it can go down so many different avenues, uh, whether you're, you're talking about very specific scenarios, uh, planning scenarios, or just general development. So they're not just about crises. I think we kind of focused on some crisis examples, but just ongoing learning examples are great as well. Um, I know we want to talk about in, in another episode about training and learning development and how that's different than, you know, some education curriculum. And one of the things that I think we want to touch on is how VR can revolutionize how we train. So we're not just talking about repetitive behaviors, but also allowing what you would consider blue collar workers to actually get leadership training, which is usually reserved for more of the management level staff. Um, so with that, uh, you know, I think I want to make sure that we wrap this episode up and actually tie off anything else. Any, are there anything else that in terms of wargaming best practices um, that the users and listeners can actually take away that they can implement um, in, in their planning and in how they're looking at um, not just in scenario mapping, but just a general development? The biggest thing to, to realize is even though this is coming you know, from the military, there's decades of research on this. So if you want to apply it to your particular business problem or situation, scenario, there is existing, there's a lot of existing research so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Yeah, what, and specifically talk, thinking about how VR and AR apply to this, it's really additive on top of the war game being part of your management process. Number one is can you do this physically? Can you create just cards and build a card game out of um, your processes? Now, let's think about how you augment that to make it more realistic um, and how you improve the communication and enhance the sense of immersion into that game. I would, I would think to take it in a, in a stepwise process. Sure, I think it's a common theme. When we look at how to expand the XR ecosystem, you know, we always land on solving the problem, making sure not reinventing the wheel, um, taking an iterative approach, and really, really depending on good, solid, either business processes, fundamentals, and then seeing where the technology fits, because technology really is that tool. Excellent. Well, guys, thank you so much um, for, for joining us today. Um, and so that's all the time we have for today. On behalf of Nirav, Kirby, and Steven, I'm Vinay. Thank you so much for joining us here on XRC Pod. You can find us on xrcpod.com. That's x-r-s-e-a-p-o-d.com. Until next time, see ya.